Uh, we started off right, count your blessings. And then we heard about the old man is dead and the new man is alive. Thank you, Brother Robert, and Brother Andy and the praise team. Uh, the songs that we are singing today are songs of praise to God for who He is, for what He does. And, you know, we're approaching this, this day of the week that we call Thanksgiving. And I know that many of you are going to spend time uh, with your family, with your friends, and uh, you're going to celebrate God's goodness in your life. And I'm thankful that we get to do that today together. And we get to do that focused on Jesus, who He is, what He has done, what He continues to do, and what He will do. Listen, Jesus, uh, yes, He died on that cross, but Jesus rose from that grave. And Jesus made a promise. He said, I'm coming back. And so, yes, we celebrate today the life and the death, but we also celebrate the resurrection and we celebrate the promise of Jesus Christ. He's coming back and we're going to be with Him forever and ever and ever. You know, in Mark chapter 13, Jesus, uh, he began encouraging and preparing his disciples for what was coming. Uh, In Mark chapter 13, he told them to watch out. Watch out because there's going to be those who will try to deceive you. There's going to be false teachers uh, who are going to come along and they're going to promote a false gospel. He told them to be on their guard. He he told them that they were going to be handed over to local councils and authorities. He even told them that they were going to be taken captive and flogged in the synagogues. Jesus told them in Mark 13 to be ready. To be ready for all of these things, but also be ready for His second coming. Jesus was taking His final steps on this earth. As a matter of fact, uh, in Mark 13 and 14, and as we move forward, this is known as the Passion. These are the final days of Jesus' life on earth. His walk to the cross was imminent. Uh, He told them that he was going to lay down his life as a ransom for many. He told them that in Mark 10, 45. So I want you to look at Mark 14 with me. We've already uh, dug into Mark 14, the first 11 verses. Mark begins uh, just a couple, Mark 14 begins just a couple of days away from the Passover celebration. And this was the most important of all Jewish celebrations, of all the festivals. This was the most important one. And in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, uh, Mark doesn't name her, but from John's gospel, we know that it is Mary of Bethany who comes and pours out her perfume on Jesus' feet. She prepares him for his future burial. We also see in verse 10, that one of his disciples named Judas Iscariot slips away and he meets with the chief priests and his intent is to betray Jesus. Now he's just waiting for the opportunity. And that's where we pick up in Mark 14 verse 12. We're going to look at this passage today, verses 12 through 26. Now it is the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. Most theologians agree that this would have been on a Thursday. And so Jesus, what he is doing in this passage is he's continuing to encourage his disciples. He's continuing uh, his his preparation. He's preparing his disciples for what is coming. Uh, What is coming in this day and the next day and down the road. He is encouraging them and he's preparing them for the future. So what we're going to look at in this first passage are the preparations and the Passover. 
So I want you to look at this with me. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, and we'll go through verse 16. The Bible says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. And the disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. I love this passage of Scripture, especially when you think of the context. Think about what Jesus has been telling His disciples. He's been telling them, it's time for me to die. I am going to die. Uh, You are going to be persecuted. You are going to be handed over to authorities. You are going to be flogged. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be condemned. Uh, It's going to be tough. So think about all the things that Jesus has said. And now the disciples, listen, they are excited. They are excited because everybody was ready to celebrate the Passover. This was important. They knew what this day was all about. It was a celebration for what God had done for his children all those years ago. The exodus, when when God saved them and God rescued them and God moved them out of captivity into freedom. So they understood all of this. And what seemed to be spinning out of control, Jesus very clearly shows us that he had control. Jesus had control. Nothing was taking place that took Jesus off guard. It may have caught everybody else off guard, but Jesus was not caught off guard. Nothing ever happened outside of his power and his authority that was given to him by the Father. His disciples, they were ready to serve. They were ready and eager to serve the Passover. They knew the importance of this. And so they they told Jesus, hey, are you ready to eat? We're ready to eat. Uh, What can we do? And look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, it's already been done. It's already been done. He told them exactly where to go. He told them exactly what to look for and exactly what to do. That that reminds me, anytime Jesus speaks, right? Anything that Jesus says, you can count on it. You can count on it. If Jesus says, go here, go there, this will be here, this will be there, it will be done as Jesus says. Why? Because Jesus is in control. I think this is so important. Jesus can be trusted. When Jesus speaks, he can be trusted. His disciples, as soon as Jesus said, go, look, and do, what did his disciples do? They went, right? They trusted Jesus. Not only did they trust Jesus, they obeyed him. And they found everything just as Jesus said. Why is that important today for you and me? I'll tell you why it's important. Because my Lord never changes. My Lord never changes. The control that Jesus had in this moment, when it seemed out of control, when the circumstances were were hard and suffering was real, pain was real, listen, Jesus had control. 
why should we doubt him today? Why, why should we think that everything's out of control and there is no hope? I'm going to tell you, there is hope for this world today. His name is Jesus. It's not a president or a congress or this country or that country. It's not this financial market or that financial market. It's Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Because Jesus is the only one who has power and authority and is in control. So no matter what the circumstances of your life look look like right now, no matter how out of control it may seem in your home or your workplace or the community or the state or the country or the world you live in, I'm going to tell you something. If you're a Christ follower, you can trust him. You can trust him because he is in control. That's what I see in the preparations. That's what I see in the Passover. Speaking of looking out of control and things being hard, let's talk about the betrayal. Let's talk about the betrayal. Look at it with me, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 17. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now what did I just say about Jesus? When he speaks, it happens. When Jesus says something, it's going to happen. Just as he says, and look at what he says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Verse 19, they were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Now what we know is that he is talking about Judas. We know that. We've read the Gospels. We've heard the story. We know that it is Judas, one of the twelve, who is actually seated with him. Now some theologians will tell you that they had an order of which they sat. And when they sat at a table, they didn't sit in chairs like you and I sat. No, they leaned down on their side and they reclined, propping themselves on an elbow. Most theologians agree that it would have been probably John or Peter on Jesus' left. And the disciple who would have been leaned into Jesus on his right would have been Judas Iscariot. Most theologians agree with that. They look at the context, they look at the scriptures, they look at the the proper order of how things were done, and many, many theologians believe that. Now listen, I don't know that for sure, okay? I'm just telling you what I've studied. But can you imagine this? If that is true, then Judas Iscariot would have been leaned in such a way that his head and his heart would have been pressed in to Jesus. Pressed into Jesus' chest pressed into Jesus' heart when Jesus said these words. Here's what I want you to know about Judas. Judas had a choice. Do you hear me? Judas had a choice. He chose to meet with those chief priests. He chose to accept those 30 pieces of silver. And he chose to look for the opportunity to betray his Lord. I love what Dr. David Jeremiah says. Dr. David Jeremiah says in his commentary, 
The confluence of divine authority and human choice is revealed in this one scene. Although Jesus' betrayal was foreseen long before it happened, John 6, 64, and had in fact been prophesied centuries before, Psalm 41, verse 9, Judas made a choice. Judas chose of his own free will to betray his master. And for this horrifying choice he made, he received an especially harsh judgment. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 25. Now, when you look at the Gospels, many times if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, they share many of the same uh, episodes, many of the same timelines. Obviously, it's from the perspective of each one of these writers. Now, the Holy Spirit makes, speaks to them in such a way to where it's all the same, but it is from a different set of eyes and a different set of ears. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know why Mark doesn't give us a lot of detail about Judas. He doesn't give us a lot of detail about Judas's betrayal like Matthew does or Luke does or even John. But what we know is when we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together, we know this. We know that Judas was looking for the opportunity to betray Jesus after the priest gave him those 30 pieces of silver. That is in Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. We also know something else about Judas that is very important. We know that Judas's heart was turned against the Lord. And because of that, the Bible tells us in Luke 22, verse 3, that Satan entered Judas. That Satan entered Judas. Judas. That's that's what the Bible tells us. And here's what I want you to know. In all of this, in everything that was happening in in Judas's mind and in his heart and and what, what happened when Judas began to get squeezed, right, by the circumstances outside of him, what came out was what was inside. And I'm going to tell you, Judas did not know Jesus Christ as his Lord, as his Savior. Judas's heart was turned against the Lord. And because it was turned against the Lord, he gave Satan full control of himself. Do you hear me? He gave Satan full control of himself. Judas had a choice. It was his own free will that he chose to reject Jesus Christ, to rebel against him, to turn the opposite direction of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, this is important for us today. Because just as Judas had a choice to either embrace Jesus Christ or reject him, every one of us in this room, every, every ear that hears my voice, we have a choice, just like Judas. And how quick are we, right, to pick up the stone And throw it at Judas. How dare he? How could he? But I'm going to tell you something. We better take a step back and take a deep breath. We better take a step back and take a deep breath. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever rebelled against Jesus Christ in your life? Have you ever turned in the opposite direction of Jesus Christ in your life? Because I'm going to tell you, more often than not, a lot of us, right, We've been Judas. We've stood in those sandals. We've been there. So we need to be careful, right? We are not called to judgment. We are not called to condemnation. You know what we're called to? 
We're called to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're called to the freedom in Jesus Christ. And so we have a choice. We can believe what God's Word says. We can believe in His Son who came and lived a perfect life. His Son who died on the cross not because of His sins but because of my sins and your sins, the sins of the world. We can choose to believe that, that Jesus Christ, right, was laid in that tomb and everybody thought it was done, it was finished, it was over. But oh no, it was not because the stone was rolled away and Jesus came out of that grave and when he did, he defeated sin and he defeated death and he did that for you and for me. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, there is no more sin, there is no more death that has a hold on us. That's Jesus Christ. And so we have a choice. We can either embrace that or we can reject that. It's very obvious Judas rejected that. He rejected that. We already know he was angry. He was angry about the money. He was angry about the perfume that was poured out on Jesus' feet. We know all about it. Let me tell you what happened. Because he had not embraced Jesus Christ and trusted Jesus Christ, he was being filled. It wasn't by the Spirit. It was by the world. And I'm going to tell you something. Every one of us in this room, we are being filled. We are either being filled by the Spirit and with the Spirit, or we're being filled with the world, with self. But we're being filled. And I'm going to tell you, we're getting squeezed too. There ain't nothing in this life that's easy. Try being married. Try having children. Try having a job. Or let me just ask you, let me just tell you this, try breathing. Just, just breathe. We're going to get squeezed in this life. And I'm telling you, whatever you're filled with is what's going to come out. Whatever you're filled with is what's going to come out. And I'm going to tell you something, Satan would be happy. He would be happy for you to reject Jesus so he can come in you and fill you just like he did Judas. But let me go back. Let me go back. Who's in control? Huh? All right, so do I need to start over and start preaching again? Who's in control? Jesus is in complete control. Everything is laid out according to God's plans, God's purposes, and God's will. And so in this moment, the disciples are looking around, surely it's not me. Surely it's not me. When you look at the other accounts, when you look at the other gospels, it it says right there that Jesus says, Judas, go do what you're going to go do. He calls him out right there. Can you imagine? The disciples are like, no way. They probably wanted to put their hands on him right then and there and stop it. But it says he left out and he went on his way. He went to get those chief priests and said, now's the time. It may have looked like everything was out of control, but never forget this. Jesus is always in control. And after after all of this, we come to one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. The Lord's Supper. Look at verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new 
in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Well, what a beautiful passage of Scripture. Jesus is living life with his disciples. But Jesus is doing more than living life with his disciples. Jesus is pouring out life. Think about that. It's more than just living life with his disciples. Jesus is pouring out life into his disciples. And what Jesus does here is he establishes the Lord's Supper, and it has a twofold purpose. He established the Lord's Supper as both a memorial and a promise. When we take these elements in just a few moments, it is both a memorial and a promise. Think about what Jesus has said. Listen, the memorial was about sacrifice. Jesus willingly laid down his life to save mankind from sin. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's his words, not mine. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Those are not my words, those are his words. And that is what the bread and the cup are all about. There was a there was a band while, way back when I, was, when I was in youth ministry. So over 20 years ago, um, there was a band named Seven Places. One of my favorite Christian bands. I mean, they, they were so good. And someone asked them one time, why did, why did you name your band Seven Places? Think about this for just a moment. Jesus gave his body up for you. His body was pierced. And blood flowed from his body. Jesus bled from seven places. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And he bled from his head. They whipped him with a cat of nine tails. Beat him across his back. And he bled from his back. That's two. They pierced his side. And he bled from his stomach. From his intestines. That's three. They pierced his hands. Both of them. And he bled from his hands. That's four and five. And then they drove the nails through his feet, six and seven. Jesus bled from seven places. His blood was poured out. His body was pierced so that you and I might come to a place where we could repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in him and be made right with God and never face the wrath of God because of our sin. You want to talk about counting your blessings? Start with that. Start with that. That's what Jesus did. No one else could do that. Nothing else could be done. The promise was about his kingdom. How many times did Jesus mention the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is near. At times he said the kingdom of God is here. But he also said the kingdom of God is coming. And that's what, that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. Yes, the memorial. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, his sacrifice. But it's also about a promise. Because Jesus said, I'm coming back. And when I come back, it's going to all be made new. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And so the Lord's Supper is both a memorial and a promise. 
It was a proclamation. Isn't that what he said? It's a proclamation of the Lord's death until he returns. So let's think about that this morning. As hopefully our hearts and our minds are prepared to take these elements today. Yes, yes, they are symbolic, but they are real. It is the blood of Christ. It is the body of Christ that was given up, poured out for us. The disciples, I want to go back to them before we close. The disciples did two things very important. The disciples trusted and obeyed. I think we sing a song, don't we? Trust and obey, for there is no other way than to what? Trust and obey. The disciples trusted and obeyed Jesus. And everything that he said went exactly as he said. Were the disciples perfect? Nope. One of them we're going to preach about next Sunday said, Oh, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll die with you. Right? We, we know who I'm talking about. I identify with him a lot. His name is Peter. No, they weren't perfect. But even in their imperfections, you know what Jesus had? He had a plan for them. And he had a purpose for them. Isn't that awesome? He's not asking you to be perfect. He's not asking me to be perfect. You know what he's asking us to do? Trust him. Just trust him. He wanted his disciples to obey him. Because in obeying him, he knew that his father would be glorified. So here's my question for you this morning. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength? Are you surrendered in complete trust to Jesus Christ? And are you obeying Jesus? Are you obeying Jesus in your home? Are you obeying Jesus in your school, in your workplace, in your community, in your church? Are you obeying Jesus Christ? Are you going where he says to go? Are you doing what he says to do? Are you trusting Jesus today? Are you obeying Jesus today? Because I'm going to tell you, just like the song says, there is no other way. There is no other way to be right with God, to live life fully for God, than to trust and obey. Jesus was in complete control. Judas had a choice. Jesus is still in control today. No matter what it looks like or feels like. And guess what? You have a choice. What I want to do at this time is I want to, I want to enter into a time of invitation before we take these elements. Because you may be here today and say, you know what? I have rejected Jesus Christ. I have rebelled. I am not in relationship with Him. But I want to be. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God will stir your heart. The the Holy Spirit of God will stir you to repentance. You will repent of your sin. That doesn't just mean to say, oh, I'm sorry. No, it means to say, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I am a sinner. And I know that my sin has separated me from God. And I know that my sin, if I were to die in my sin, that I would be separated from God forever, that I would face His wrath forever in a place called hell. I know that. I'm guilty. Am I sorry? Yes, I am. And because I'm sorry, 
and I'm guilty, I turn to the one who I know can and has set me free. His name is Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ as God's only son. I believe in Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and rose victoriously from the grave. I put my faith and my trust in who Jesus is. And so, God, I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm going to tell you, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you will confess your sin before God, that he is faithful and just and will do what? Forgive you of all your sin. He'll cleanse you and purify you. The Bible says when you make that proclamation of faith, the Holy Spirit of God seals your salvation. Seals your salvation. And so today you may need to make that your proclamation for the first time. Today, you may be sitting here and you may say, well, Brother Jeff, I believe in Jesus Christ. I have been saved, but, but, but I've fallen. I've been unfaithful. I have rejected here, rejected there. I, I've rebelled, and I know that I need to turn from that. Listen, the Bible says that when we turn from sin, we turn to God. We don't run from Him. We run to Him. And so maybe today, you just need to ask God to forgive you. You just need to ask God to forgive you. God, I haven't walked faithfully with you. I've rejected, I've turned, I've rebelled, and I don't want to live that life. I want to live a life with you and for you. I'm going to tell you, the same God that saved you is the same God that forgives you each and every time you repent of your sin. It's an ongoing thing. It's not a one and done thing. I repent of my sin daily. You want to know why? Because I'm a sinner, and my flesh and my spirit battle daily. Anybody else in in that boat with me? Yeah. Repentance is a practice. I practice repentance daily. It never ends. And it won't end until that time when that promise comes true. When Jesus comes back and he takes me to meet him in the air. Or if I die before that time, there's going to be a time called glorification. I'm going to be changed. I'm going to be made new. I'm going to be made like him. And and all that sin and sorrow and pain and death will no longer exist. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. Amen? So during this invitation, think about that. Think about who you are. Think about whose you are, or maybe you're not yet. Think about where you are right now in this life. And I'm going to tell you, before you take these elements, think about these elements. Think about that bread and that juice and who it represents and what it represents. Don't take it carelessly. Don't take it flippantly and just, oh, it's just another thing we do. Oh, no, no. This is a serious moment. And so before we enter into this serious moment, let's enter into this serious moment of invitation where we hear God speak to us.